As we continue our <coughs> series in Hosea, we tackle the second chapter of Hosea. And if you haven't, go ahead and flip your Bibles open to it. Uh, there's a pew Bible that is in front of you. Get your tablet, your uh, you know, phone, whatever you read God's Word. As we take a look at uh, this, uh, you know, this chapter, as we try to figure out how it can apply to our lives. And um, the book of Corinthians, the first letter to Corinthians, and if you do the devotion, which you can find online on the back of your handout, those of you who are here, those of you watching this in the app, you can find it in the notes section of things. We read in 1 Corinthians 10 that uh, the stories of the Old Testament, and I paraphrase while I pull it up exactly, but the stories of the Old Testament, the, the things that we read about in Hosea are there for you and for me to learn from. So that we can gain, I would say, a heart of wisdom. So that we can see where they may not have done it the best way and maybe change our own course. If they're not there so we can look at them and say how messed up they were, though at times the nation of Israel was pretty messed up. Because if we're honest, if the Lord doesn't come back uh, in another hundred years, there will maybe a time when in a hundred years people will look back and look at us and go, look how messed up they were. <coughs> And I'm not just talking about the world around us. I'm talking about God's people. Where, you know, a good uh, historians of the church and of Christianity, when we look back, we don't just look back and idealize what they were doing, but we also don't uh, look back and be completely critical of the early church, but we can go back and go, wow, they may have missed it. Here. Try to have what we would call a balanced approach. There have been many times in the history of our church, or history of the church, and I'm typically talking about from 300 AD to present, where I think the church kind of missed the point. When, when we would go off and we would slaughter people just because we thought we could. I mean, there was more to it. They really thought it was a holy war in some ways. And though we may not be prone to do that, there are times when we must look back and go, how is that me? And as I mentioned last week, I want us as we go through Hosea to ask the question, not just uh, who is God, but how are we like the nation of Israel? How are we, God's people then and God's people today, how are we similar in ways so that we may heed the words of Christ and heed the words of Scripture? And our task is to learn to live an integrated life. 
See, we, we are pretty good in our culture of having compartmentalization, especially the older we are, the older the generations, that's the case. The younger, they, they don't see this as much anymore, and I'm not sure that's good, I'm not sure that it's bad, I just think it's there. Where some of us have a way of uh, having different boxes set up. So here's my work box. My work box doesn't touch my family box. And my family box doesn't touch my work box. They're separate. And then we got our faith box over here. And then we got our free time box over here, and, and we're playing in a bunch of boxes. Now, I, I'll be honest, my brain doesn't work that way, in part because I think the Lord knows I'm not smart enough to keep them all separate. You know? Uh, I, I can't remember what box I'm supposed to be in. You know, let alone making sure my, my work box is not the same as my other box over here. You know, now granted, as a pastor, my work box and my faith box are about the same box. You know? Uh, but, but we can get that way where we segregate things. And integration means it's all one. In fact, I would argue this was kind of the point for the nation of Israel. Was if everything of life was to be one, why do we have all these stinking rules of Leviticus? It wasn't to compartmentalize life. It was to say, this is what it means to be in right relationship with the Lord, and that makes a difference in every other area or there is a box of life. And when we start to segregate life, trouble follows. Trouble will follow. But it's real comfortable to keep everything in a nice, neat box. Because then we know where it is and where it's not. But we try to keep it in its place over here. And this is, I think, what the book of Hosea was trying to encourage them. I should have shared this last week. I did not, so I'm going to share it this week. I think there is a theme verse for Hosea. And it's this one. It's Hosea 14, 9, at the end of the book. Who is wise, it reads, let them realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right. Even when they don't make sense, God's ways are right. <clears throat> Chapter 1 doesn't make sense if we don't understand this verse. Chapter 2 doesn't necessarily make any more sense if we do not understand these words. Because you read these and you go, uh, how am I supposed to handle this? Because there are things here I'm not going to read. We've got younger kids here, and, you know, mom and dad should be able to explain some of this. Uh, you know, but there are things here you go, hmm. And, and let's be honest. We need to understand that some of Scripture isn't meant to be taken 100% literal. There's there's analogies of life that is going on, especially in chapter 2 here. But we must 
remember the Lord's ways are right. And then the call of Hosea, the righteous will walk in them, the rebellious will stumble in them. See, everyone is walking in the ways of the Lord to some extent. There is only one path God is trying to say. You're either going to walk or you're going to fall time and time again. And the, the scripture, and especially the Old Testament, we get this idea of when, when Israel walks in the ways of the world, they're going well. Nothing is getting in their way. But when they start to not, they stumble again and again and again and again. And so we must realize this truth. The foundation of life cannot be from within. It doesn't come from within me or within you. Another prophet, very, very close to around this time, Jeremiah said, the heart of men and women is deceitful. We, we can't rely from within. Because the other thing becomes is when it is all about within us, what happens when two of us disagree? Have you ever disagreed with anybody? Some of us yet this morning. But what happens when you disagree with yourself? Anybody do that this morning? Just me? Oh, Sue, Sue's always good at being in my, we're in similar boats, whether she likes it or not. You know, sometimes, you know, we disagree with ourselves. And, it, and, and you see what will happen if we disagree within ourselves and we're looking at just from within as maybe a world and a culture. Guess what will happen? We cannot be authentically ourselves and we cannot be integrated because we will always be torn one way or another. And this was the challenge of the nation of Israel. It is the challenge of us today. They were supposed to to understand the foundation of their life as God's people could not rest on who they were or who they were not, but on something greater. And how were they going to live it out? And they show us this truth. Authentically living a faith in, a, in the world is hard. The nation of Israel didn't have it easy just because they heard God speak from a mountain where Moses' face shined because he was up on a mountain. Their faith in who, who God was wasn't easy just because they had tablets. They lived in a world that didn't understand that. They lived in a world that had their own way of thinking about what it meant to, to live a true life. That's why Paul and Jesus, following up in the footsteps of Jesus and the early church went back again and again to the, the stories and the scriptures of the Old Testament to figure out how can we try to be God's people today. And that's been the quest of God's people known as the church ever since Pentecost to today. And the world has changed greatly in many ways. 
They went through great persecution. The great empires of Rome and others have come and fallen. For the first 200, almost 300 years, the idea of Christianity was uh, hostile towards the political structures of the day until an emperor came out and said, let's make it the official religion of his empire. And then they had to struggle with, what does this mean now? What is our role? You go into other parts of the world, and we must admit as American Christians that our viewpoint is colored by the world we live in here. Other Christians don't worry about the things we might worry about. Other Christians are trying to do the same thing we are doing, authentically living out of faith in this world. And so when we read the news, whether it's in Russia, Ukraine, or France, or England, or here in our own backyard, we must be asking God to strengthen his people, to give his people wisdom and discernment of what it means to walk in the ways of the Lord that are always right. And we must learn from one another. And so we read here in, in Hosea 2 words that seem to maybe not make sense. We see in verses 2 uh, through 13, we see that the Lord has declared because of what Israel has doing that he has to take action. And it may be action that they don't understand because they have failed to truly live out their faith in who he says they are. And if I could boil it down to one statement, which is always scary, I would say it's this. Israel's problem was forgetting who God is. And, and, and so verses 2 through 13 answers the question, but why have you called a, a prophet Hosea to do what he is doing, to name his kids, the names he is naming them? Why, oh why, oh why? And God says, I'm glad you asked. Here's why. There are things that Israel, known as the bride of God to some extent in the Old Testament, the beloved one of God, there are things that she is doing that God says, I no longer find it worthy. We read that God says they have forgotten who I am and what I do. They call after other gods. Or maybe they don't necessarily get to start out calling after the God of all and others, but they stop to realize, they stop realizing where the good things of life come from. 
See, because this is what happens in the day of Israel and the day today. Culture can suddenly dilute our faith until it becomes no faith in Christ at all. Part of what they were doing is they were realizing that the blessings of life, that they had a, they had a reason for coming, and it wasn't necessarily them, but they thought it was this God over here and called Baal. And we read an interesting uh, verse in, the, uh, in here, uh, in verse 16, where it says, In that day, talking about a future day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. And, it, and if you think about it, that seems to go against some of what we may actually say when we talk about Jesus as our master. We have a song about, uh, you know, Jesus my master. Uh, I was singing it this morning in my head, and then I completely forgot it now, but I'm not going to try to sing it. You know, Barb probably knows exactly which one it is, playing the melody in her head with that. But the issue they were coming was is they were seeing God as a slave driver, not as someone who desired to give them good gifts. They saw them as something and someone that they had to manipulate to get the good things of life. And so they were saying, well, if God, if, if Baal could do this, then maybe he's our true, he's one of our masters. That could happen overnight. This was a 200-year thing, sometimes quicker than others. So what God is saying in, in verses 2 through 13 is, look, I have to... Remind you of where your good things of life come from. And you think it comes from this over here. So when I remove the good things, you're going to go, wait a minute, they can't come from here. Because I'm left wanting. That no longer meets my needs. That no longer provided my safety, my security, my comforts. Wait a minute, I thought this was always going to be here. Now you're left going, who or what can meet my desires? See, because the place where our desires are met indicate where our faith is. And Israel was getting to a place where got to the place where they thought their desires and their needs were met by someone other than the God who called them out of Egypt. And God is saying, I think you need to realize who I am. You think someone else provides that? I'll stop providing. You see, this judgment is an act of grace. This judgment is a reminder of the fact that God is the source of all things. So let me ask you this morning, where are your desires and needs met? And it may be easy, because we're in a church right now, to say, of course it's in my faith in Jesus. And I would say that too. But I ask you maybe to sit on that for a minute. Because what happens if some of your, your needs that you think are met, 
that, that you are being mad of your desires. What if some of those things go away? How will your faith be then? Where have we maybe very suddenly, very small to some extent, unintentionally start to realize that our needs are met somewhere else besides in who Christ is. Does your job provide your needs? To some extent, but what happens when you retire? When you no longer have that job? Or what happens when you're not sure you have a job to go into? Where will you seek them? What about your health? Do you have a list of those with health? One of the cruelties of life, we could say, is there's a couple things that are constant. One of those is going to be pain as we age. I know, I've heard it before. I, I remember in the church in Hamilton, a retired executive from uh, General Motors uh, used to work uh, get on the plant there. He said, whoever called these the golden years missed it. It's the rust years. Bumpers rusted out, the engine is falling apart, the transmission no longer works. If it was gold, it would have at least lasted. And some of us know those things. Is it in relationships? Well, what happens when you are no longer in a relationship or, or your family no longer has that connection with you? Is it in a freedom to do what you think is Right? What happens when that freedom is no longer what you think it ought to be? What does that mean? And, and, and we must be careful because sometimes it is those nice, neat, good things of life that become the idols we go after. The issue with the nation of Israel is they thought that their grain, their good crops, the agricultural needs was, was, was provided because either they deserved it or someone else besides uh, the Lord himself provided it. And they put their faith in that. Where even their idea of their military might or in their religious celebrations Verses 11. We must be right because we still celebrate as we are quote-unquote supposed to. And God is saying, I'm going to remove all those things and you are going to have to ask the question, where does my hope come from? And then, the beauty is we're not left there. As this chapter goes on, we read these words. Therefore, I'm now going to go to allure her. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, the nation of Israel. And I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to make a covenant with them. And I will commit to you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. 
And in those days, I will show my love to the, to the one I am calling, called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Because God seeks people to know him. God has always sought the hearts of men, women, and children. And that's what the nation of Israel, and if we're not careful, that's what we can forget. We can think once we've become God's people, it's okay to just kind of rest on who I am and how God has blessed us, and he has. And we forget that God is continually seeking others and seeking us to go farther and deeper than we may want to go. The nation of Israel thought their status with God allowed them to just kind of coast the rest of the way through. They didn't have to worry about anything else. They were already the chosen people of God. So how does this connect elsewhere? I told you last week, one of my goals in preaching is to connect dots. I mean, really, what does Hosea have to say to us, right? Not just that, but how does Hosea fit in the larger picture? Well, we read here that Hosea directly ties what God is going to do to the Exodus events of Scripture. So we can always go back there. But I also want us to move forward, especially as we come to this time of communion. How does this chapter of scripture of Hosea 2 set the stage for this act of worship. I believe we see something like it in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We didn't go seeking a Savior necessarily, but he came seeking us the Gospel of, of Luke, again, in the 15th chapter, talks about how God, how Christ is going after those who need to be a part of the fold, looking for the things that are lost. We read throughout all of, not, not all, but we read throughout Scripture that anyone who were, was able to see who God was could be a part of his chosen people. Even those who were supposed to be the enemies of God. I think of Rahab and being in Jericho. I think of Ruth being a Moabite, which was like the ultimate no-no. And others. And so there's hope for you, for me, for those around us. Because the book of Hosea is reminding us that we need, we must go deep with God. God doesn't desire just enough knowledge for salvation. Well, that's a start. We must grow in our knowledge. We must go deep. Then when we go deep with God, we will come to know him in a greater way where we know that even though he knows us, he loves us, and because he loves us, he knows us. 
And then we can go out into this world and go, hey, you can be loved because you are known, and you can be known because you are loved. And people will go, which one starts? Whichever one needs to. Do you need to know that regardless of what you have done in life, you are loved? Then we'll start there. Or do you need to be reminded this morning, because you, because of my love for you, I want to know you. Or because I know you, you are loved. It works both ways and it can be confusing even my own head. But some people aren't ready to experience the love of Christ until they are known by us. What are you going to do to know somebody else? And then sometimes we have to say to those close, to those we get to know, we, we have to say, guess what? Because I know who you are, I want to just reiterate, I still love you. Again, and again, and again. But, but, there's no buts here, I still love you. One of the Great things I, I love to do with my kids. I just love to remind them, hey, you want to know something? And they wow, I love you. And they kind of look at me like, where'd that come from? You know? And then other times, just, just to kind of catch them off guard, I'll, I'll say, Eliana, guess what? She goes, yeah, dad. You know, and I'll say, I love you. And you know what she does next? Rolls her eyes, man. And then she down and walks off and she smiles. And I hope I continue that habit, regardless of what they do, to affirm my love for them. I love you. Because I know you. And you messed up. And I love you. That's what? Because you know, Dad, I messed up. I hope you still love me. And that's the relationship. When you go deep with God, when you're willing to realize that He fulfills your deepest need and desire, and you realize He deeply knows you, and He still says, guess what? I still love you. Though this earth may fade away, still the Lord is true. No wonder, time and time again, the nation of Israel, and guess what? The early church picked up this idea that we were to be foreigners in this land. That we were to be kind of what they call aliens in this land because of who God is and because of the fact he loves us. First period. I believe had some of these words at least ruminating through his heart and his mind as we begin to transition into a time of communion. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here and reverend you. For you know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Who is Peter talking? He's talking to probably fellow Jews here who had put their hope in their gold and their grain and their military might 
No wonder Hosea 2 also says, I'm going to take your, uh, your, your swords and your plowshares, and they're going to be useless because in the coming day, those things won't matter. With that. But you were redeemed not with the way of life that had been handed down to you, or gold, or silver, or anything like that, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. What great hope we have. And so, we come. We seek to go deeper with God. And I leave at this point as we transition. Jesus faithfully, deeply, compassionately loves us. See, he wants it all. No wonder Jesus would say words like this, not worry about tomorrow. Or what we'll eat, or what we will drink. But seek first the kingdom of God. Do not lay out for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and famine and sword. Come and destroy, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. We have to get to the point again and again and again where we sit here and go, because of Jesus' faithful, deep, and compassionate love for me. If all else fails and I have Jesus, I still take. And we must realize. But Jesus also said, for every good and perfect gift comes from our God. Where do your blessings come from? Not your hand. The grace of God. And when we forget that, we, like the nation of Israel, may lose things in order to find things. The one Jesus also said, no one can serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. The one Jesus also said, call on our God as Father. A deep, intimate relationship with the Creator of us. This is what we celebrate at this table. The one who created us calls us into relationship, not by our power, our strength, our abilities, but by his grace, by his body, by his blood. We are redeemed. And so as those come to help serve this time of communion, I ask that you reflect 